0: Hello, this is Cortland Allen from IndieHackers.com. And on this podcast, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses. And I try to get a sense of what things were like in the early days, especially how they came up with their idea and the things they did to grow their businesses to where they are today. In today's episode, I'm talking to Scott Keyes, the founder of a very interesting business called Scotch Cheap Flights. How's it going, Scott? Hey, how's it going? Good to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. So Scott's Cheap Flights is a mailing list for cheap flights. And the way it works is that you, Scott, and your team of basically flight finders spend the better part of every day tracking down the cheapest deals on flights all over the internet. And as a subscriber, you get access to all of these deals in your inbox on a daily basis. So we're talking things like $350 round trip airfare to Paris.
1: Yeah, that that's kind of it in a nutshell. We um, are people who are really obsessed with finding cheap flights. You know, some people really like cooking, other people really like I don't know making Instagram videos, and for whatever reason, our obsession is literally just spending hours and hours and hours on you know Google Flights and kayak and and, and orbits and just trying to hunt down those uh, cheap deals, almost like a like a treasure hunt. And then when we find them. Emailing them out to you know to subscribers who want to know about these cheap flights and get them before they you know, the best deals before they disappear.
0: I think one of the coolest things about your story is that it kind of started as a personal obsession. It wasn't really a business from the beginning. In fact, you're just finding flights from yourself. And this was back in 2015, a couple years ago. Fast forward to today, it's transformed from this small mailing list that was really just, you know, for your friends and family, into this You know, 600,000 subscriber behemoth that's generating $300,000 a month, which is, you know, almost $4 million in revenue. How did you make this transition and how did you start Scotch Cheap Flights?
1: That's exactly right. You know, I never intended to start a business, I was never really an aspiring entrepreneur, but I loved to travel and I didn't have, you know, hardly any money in the bank. So I wanted to try to figure out a way to still travel without liquidating my life savings. And so I got really good at sort of figuring out those tips and tricks to get as cheap of flights as possible, got really good at navigating the frequent flyer miles world. And then it all kind of culminated in the middle of 2013, when um, I ended up finding and booking the the best deal I've ever gotten in my life, which was uh, nonstop from New York City to Milan for 130 bucks round trip. I didn't even know I wanted to go to Milan until I saw this deal, and of course, you know, who could say no to a $130 round trip flight to Italy, you know, I ended up going and like, hang on and out on Lake Como, where, you know, George Clooney has a house there, like hang out, uh, going like skiing in the Alps, going and hiking in Cinque Terre, like, it was incredible. And so then when I got back, that's when sort of things changed. Because, you know, I was just hanging out in the break room at the office, and people would come up and say, Hey, Scott, you know, can you like, I heard about that crazy flight that you got. Can you let me know next time you see something like that so I can get in on it too? And so then, you know, I, I had enough people ask that of me that I started to realize, like, okay, I can't keep everybody's, like, try to remember every single person I was supposed to tell. Why don't I just start a little email list? And that way I can just kind of send it out to everybody at once.
0: How big was your, your email list at first?
1: Yeah. So at first it was just a few dozen folks. I mean, I started a little free MailChimp list because, um, you know, first I was just going to do it on Gmail, but then I realized, uh, I think there's a limit in terms of how many like carbon copies you can have on Gmail. I can't remember what it is, something like 25 or 50, maybe. Uh, it, it, at least at the time it was not very high. So I started a little MailChimp list and just kind of sending it out to my networks and like, Hey, I'm doing this just for fun. You know, and this is totally, totally free. Like just a, just a hobby something I enjoyed doing. So for, you know, like a few dozen friends signed up the first day. And then over the next kind of 18 months, it just slowly started to grow out from that network. And so then by the time of about April 2015, so just a little over two years ago, it had grown from that, you know, maybe initial kind of 25, 50 people to about three or four hundred.
0: How did you, like, were you actively promoting your list at this point in time? Or was it growing entirely by word of mouth?
1: Just word of mouth. I mean, it was just, you know, I would, again, would, like, it's one of those weird guys who really enjoys trying to find cheap flights. So then, you know, once I found it, it's not like I can take all of them. So I might as well just send them out to people who I know and like and would want to be able to take advantage of them as well.
0: Did you ever think... You know, in that early stage, like, hey, this is something that I could probably charge money for. Or was it just like a hobby? No, never, never. It, it was just a total hobby. I imagine it was a lot of work to to send out all those emails.
1: You know, it was not was not. Like, at the time, you know, I was very, like, nowadays we send out, you know, three or four deals departing the U.S. every single day. And then, you know, a number one's departing, you know, like, like it doesn't just cover the US, we also cover flights departing Europe, flights running Asia, Australia, Canada, uh, Latin America, on down the line. And um, so, you know, we probably as a company now send out 15, 20 uh, like deal alerts each day. But, uh, you know, at the time I would send out maybe i would run across like one or two a month because again this was not even a side hustle because i wasn't getting any money for it It it's just a pure hobby and so it's just like you know when i had some time felt like going to search for some flights and like found stumbled across something really great then i would send it out uh but it, it wasn't that much of a time suck initially just because you know it wasn't that big of a priority um at least in those sort of initial hobby stages
0: right so when did things change
1: yeah, so where things really sort of like the inflection point was April twenty fifteen. Uh, so I'd been living down in Mexico and was just getting ready to uh, depart for a kind of big two month round the world trip with my um, now fiance. We basically amassed a bunch of frequent flyer miles and we're using them to get you know three flights all over the world. So we're going to you know thirteen different countries, like twenty thousand miles. You know this big. Big trip, and I posted a little map on Facebook, just showing you know where I was going to be going, and like for those you know doubters and haters of frequent flyer miles, like this is this I'm about to take this awesome trip for the next two months, and it's all for free. And it just so happens, you know, I was working as a journalist at the time, and you know, so I had friends at other working in other journalist outfits, and I a friend of mine who worked at Business Insider uh, saw this and was like, oh, that looks like an interesting story. Hey Scott, can I uh, you know pass this along to my friend here who writes about travel for Business Insider and see you know if she's interested in doing a story? It's so like yeah, you know, sure, by all means. And so uh, she was and ended up doing an interview. So the day I let you know, the day we left for this big trip, uh, the Business Insider article went up, and you know it was with one of these sort of uh, um, uh, slightly clickbaity but you know made for viral headlines like you know, man. Uh, travels, you know, around the world, twenty thousand miles, twenty-one flights, like all for free. You know, figures out how to game the airline industry. One of these that that really sort of like gets people, you know, across between like uh, exciting travel, you know, frugal, the free part, all all that stuff, and so it ended up going super viral. You know, two hundred fifty, four, three hundred, four hundred thousand clicks on it, and. Like literally over, you know, in that article, it had a link to the email list. And so literally overnight, it went from, you know, this just sleepy little hobby of for 300, 400 people, you know, 80% of whom I knew personally to 5,000 subscribers, like overnight. That's crazy. Yeah, it was. You know, and I didn't really quite know what to make of it. uh, A and B, It was kind of one of those crisis tunities, you know, because the bad part was this, you know, little hobby that I enjoyed doing and enjoyed doing with a a free MailChimp list. All of a sudden, the email list was big enough that I was going to have to start paying hosting fees. And, you know, I loved doing this just as a hobby for friends, but I wasn't really thrilled about the idea of just paying money out of pocket for server space to, you know, do a favor for my friends. So, you know, that was the bad part. The good part was, you know, I sort of realized, hey, you know, maybe there's more interest in this type of thing than I'd realized. Like there, you know, all of a sudden there're five thousand people who are really into this. I knew, you know, I, I'm not a businessman by background or trade, but I knew enough about sort of business and marketing to know that like getting the getting that first one thousand subscribers, those first one thousand customers, is by far the most difficult thing to do.
0: And you've already crossed that at this point.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the fact that I crossed that fivefold with doing nothing, like not having to do any hustle, not, you know, all take the time or anything, I was like, Man, maybe there's an actual opportunity for a business here. And so it was, you know, during that trip that it then started to sort of percolate in my head, hey, you know, how can I turn this into maybe a, a little business, throwing around some different sort of uh uh revenue models in my head, like ways to ways to actually turn it into a business, you know, should I do a like a paid advertising thing should i do like a referral link uh, uh type of thing should i do like a you know paid subscription tossing all those around and then come august 2015 i ended up uh, uh officially relaunching it as a business went with the pre the paid subscription model and uh yeah that was sort of the the birth of scott's cheap flights as a business just about two years ago
0: i mean you mentioned that you basically didn't have any entrepreneurship experience and you never really started a business and you ended up just kind of falling into this. I mean, did you plan when you were writing, you know, collaborating for the article on business insider, did you plan to put a link to your mailing list in there and did you expect to get, you know, a ton of traffic?
1: No, it was all completely serendipitous. You know, I had no idea what links you included, no idea if it was that it was gonna go as popular as it did. I had no idea like that I you know, I'd never even considered at that time that there would be a like a business opportunity here it's just again something I could just kind of did in my every once in a while in my spare time just for fun and 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 got incredibly incredibly lucky that it ended up turning into a, a big break.
0: So today, Scotch Cheap Flights is not just you working alone, but you actually have a co-founder and a whole bunch of employees. And your co-founder Brian uh, actually collaborated on your Indie Hackers interview uh, a few weeks ago. How did the two of you guys end up meeting?
1: Yeah, that was kind of a crazy story. Um, so this is very early on a couple months after, you know, officially launched as a business, and it was starting to grow enough and have enough customers and have enough um work going on that I realized like I need some help, like I can't do this by myself. And so just around that time when I was starting to think like, man, how am I gonna find somebody like as a you know business partner, someone to to kind of take on responsibility with this, Brian reached out to me because he was doing a giveaway. Uh, basically, he was trying to start like a, a travel blog, travel community thing, and figured, out, okay, maybe I can give away a couple subscriptions to Scott's Chief Flights and do an interview with him. And so, you know, we chatted for a while, uh, gave a couple subscriptions, and I just got a really good vibe from talking with him. Like, man, this guy, you know, he's got his shit together. Like, he seems like pretty, you know, hardworking, entrepreneurial. Like, I'm just sort of impressed with the cut of his jib. So kind of on a lark, I just messaged him like, hey, you know, look this is gonna this may sound kinda of weird, but I like we kinda of need help over here. You know, like we're things are growing, we've got customers, but like it's just more work than we have. Like there's a lot of opportunity to help build this up. But um yeah, is that something that you're interested in? And you know, he said yes, we, we worked it out and it ended up being just such again, going back to serendipity. I like it's it, it's not it's probably not a wise or advisable uh, uh, business partner search strategy to just take somebody who you randomly met on the internet and be like, hey, you want to <laughs> go into business together? <laughs> you know, and we'd never even actually met face to face until uh, about five months ago or so. But I just again got so lucky because our it, not only is he incredibly competent, incredibly skilled, and hardworking, but also our our skill sets really complement one another as well. So you know, I'm. Good, obviously, good at the sort of flight searching stuff, and then good at like writing with the journalism background, and then he is really good at that sort of behind the scenes back end stuff, like a lot of sort of building systems, kind of trying to get partnerships worked out, trying to build up like you know marketing and uh, development growth, all sorts of stuff like that behind the scenes. That um, it's hard to kind of put a singular label on, but uh, man, I mean, you know, Scotty flights wouldn't be. A tenth of what it is today, if we hadn't had that serendipitous meeting and, and and decided to go into business together.
0: And it sounds like you you met Brian at kind of the perfect time because you were at the time thinking about you know how do I put a business model on this and how do I charge and make money from all this demand. Mm, that,
1: yeah, that that's absolutely right. I mean, it was it was like at that time, probably when he came on there, were maybe ten thousand total subscribers, maybe you know five hundred or a thousand were. Paying, like, like, so, you know, definite growth and, and, and bigger than I expected, but, um, you know, a fraction of what it is today, you know, eight, like 18 months later.
0: So, you made a lot of decisions early on about what your business model would look like. And you decided to basically do a freemium business model, which for people who, who don't know what that means, uh, effectively, you gave away a lot of your product or your service for free, and then you charged for an upgrade. So, people could sign up for the normal mailing list. And then, what did what did you charge money for?
1: Yeah, so uh, initially we we set the pre and premium model, Um, and the thinking was I was very sort of again coming from the business from sorry coming from the journalism world. I was very cognizant of the difficulties that a lot of newspapers went through going from you know their websites where they offered all articles for free to then trying to charge for it. And I know how difficult it is to have a categorical shift in people's mind from trying to start charging them for things that they used to get for free. And so I was very sort of uh, uh, tried to stay mindful of that. And so that's why I I, I was like, okay, I don't want to just have a purely paid list and tell everyone like, hey, you know, starting in August 2015, you have to pay for this. If you don't, then take a hike. So that was part of the thinking, uh, you know. A big another part of the thinking, which ended up uh, uh, working out really well, was that if we have this free list, a it's a lot, it's, you know, a massively lower sort of barrier of entry for new subscribers. You know, it, it like asking someone just to sign up for an email list is a way smaller ask than asking them someone who'd never heard of Scott Street flights to come in and pay for it. But even more than that, than having this sort of built-in list of free subscribers, wound up creating a captive audience where anytime, you know, we like when we send out deals to the free list, you know, includes little banners like, hey, just FYI, you know, free subscribers missed out on like, I don't know, $350 deals to Rome yesterday or something like that. Like sign up, you know, sign up for premium here to get all the deals, Uh, those types of things. And, you know, we have these folks who are interested, uh, already know, you know how Scott Sheep Flights works, and are much, much, much easier to convert to paying subscribers than you know just random Joe Schmo who just found out about SkySuite Flights yesterday.
0: You guys had a uh, like a long term view. Basically, it was it was not you know the end of the world if someone doesn't pay immediately. It's it's fine. You can convert them later. You know,
1: right, right. Especially because the you know the beauty of a sort of twenty first century mail list business model is that the marginal cost is so low and you know it's effectively zero for any given subscriber obviously you know when, once we hit certain thresholds we have to upgrade server cost server space and stuff like that but for any given subscriber it's effectively zero but um you know we found that over time just about one uh, just about 10 to 12 percent or so of Free subscribers wind up being, uh, wind up becoming paid subscribers, and so you know that is incredibly lucrative. Then, if we can just sign up ten, you know, get convince ten people to sign up for the free list, we know at least one of those people are gonna, gonna wind up paying for it.
0: I think that's huge, uh, especially considering, like you were mentioning earlier, that like it's so hard to get people to pay for things they're not used to paying for, especially content.
1: Yeah, and we don't even, we actually even recommend people that they don't sign up for premium right away. Like, I want people to sign up for the free lift initially. Uh, and we actually, on our website, you know, when you come in, there's, there's only one call to action. It's just put in your email address. After you do that, then there's information about the, like the premium list. You know, if they're really interested right away. But I want folks to start out on the free list because I want them to get a sense of how Scott Cheap Flights operates. Uh, you know, and make sure that it's what they're looking for. Make sure that they don't have sort of a preconceived notion about what it is that it doesn't ultimately end up being. Uh, you know, some people think it's like uh, Groupon, where you know we have this, sort of this. Block of flights that we're selling, you know, ourselves. Or some people think it's like Kayak, where they can search for the flight themselves. Or some people think it's like uh, Flystein, where they can, you know, just have an expert go look up the best flights for them. You know, and and, and Flights isn't any of those things. It's something something new and different. And so having people come in and see, you know, for the first week or two, just get the free deals, see what it's all about, and then sort of decide, okay, you know, am I interested in Getting more of the perks, am I interested in getting all of the deals rather than just some of them? So the difference between the the, the premium and the free list is um, all the deals go to the premium list, whereas just one out of every three go to the free list. All the premium list gets to choose which specific cities you want departure alerts for. So you know, say like you live in New York, you say, okay, I only want flights departing, you know, JFK, LaGuardia, and and Newark. Or you know maybe you can add in Philadelphia and Boston in there too if you really want or Hartford, but um, you get to choose which specific ones. Whereas for folks on the free list, they choose by region. So say, like, okay, I just want deals departing the Northeast, or I just want deals departing you know the West Coast or something like that.
0: Is this something that you've you've played around with at all? Like how did you determine you know exactly where to draw that line between what free users would get and what paid subscribers would get?
1: It, it evolved a little bit over time the one out of every three has been that way the entire time premium subscribers get a deal 30 like when a deal goes to the free list premium subscribers get it 30 minutes before the free subscribers which you know for some deals doesn't matter uh, but for some deals they like legitimately only last a couple hours at times and so finding out about it early can sometimes make the difference there's no ads in the uh, uh, premium emails that's also been there since the beginning and the two kind of premium features that have changed since the beginning are that, uh, like I said, that sort of specific airport selection feature that I mentioned, and uh, the uh, we now offer text message alerts as well, uh, but that's only for, for premium subscribers as well. Um, those are things that, you know, we just didn't have – like the functionality built out initially, um, but it's something we do have now. We ended up taking away one feature initially. Like so, initially, you know, when the when the premium list was really was a lot smaller. Well, the entire list was a lot smaller. We offered uh, free credit card consultations for premium subscribers. So, you know, I got going back. I got really good at uh, frequent flyer miles. Uh, you know, generating them and using them for best value. And a big part of that is which specific like airline or or points credit cards to open and so you know i'd say like okay yeah if, if you're a premium subscriber like and you're thinking about opening up a new credit card send me an email you know i'll help you choose and that went along great for the first six months or a year or so but then it just ended up getting big enough that you know i was just every day having dozens swamped. of dozen, yeah, just swamped in it. Cause that, you know, that was sort of the one perk that was not really scalable like that. Each, each person who emailed had to have individual attention. And so we ended up uh, kind of phasing that out and implementing, you know, these new features that I talked about the, the city departure selection and the, the text message alert.
0: So rewinding a bit, you've, you've gotten to this point now where you went from 300 subscribers to 5,000, to ten thousand subscribers, and you know, up until this point, you're, you're doing it pretty much by yourself. You haven't even brought Brian on. What did it take for you to actually build out the infrastructure of the business? I mean, were you on Mailchimp the entire time, and and you know, did you set up a, a website?
1: Yeah, so I was on Mailchimp initially. Um, I had a website that I just actually my brother was like good at at web design, so he just kind of built out a website initially. You know, did Mailchimp. That we used uh, FormCrafts initially, which is just a form plugin uh, thing that connected well between the website and Stripe, which we use for payment processing. So that that was like sort of the initial uh, uh, stack setup. We ended up over time phasing out FormCrafts. It uh, once we got sort of the new website built with our own uh, uh, with our own kind of form capture and then just connected directly to stripe for still for payment processing. We did PayPal for a while. We offered that as a payment option. Ended up taking it out because it just didn't like without getting too wonky about it, it just it doesn't play nearly as nice with other apps and plugins. It ended up being I'll just take one specific point here. When folks would pay with PayPal, it would automatically use whatever email address they had as their PayPal email as the email that they signed up for the list with, like for the cheap flights email list. But a lot of times people didn't want that. They wanted a different one. And so you know it would cause problems like they didn't realize that and so they wouldn't be getting emails for weeks and really like, where my emails like oh you know went to the one that you signed up with or you know ended up just being big headaches trying to trying to figure it out with everybody. So we yeah, we ended up phasing out PayPal as an option oh gosh, 6 months ago or so and we keep we go back and forth on whether or not to bring it back, but I think we're all kind of happy to to not have it even though it's um it's like slightly we probably sacrificed just a marginal amount of revenue by not offering it. We, I think, are like, like amount of hassle and headache that we save by not doing it and is by far worth it.
0: What happened after after you brought Brian on? Like how did uh, Scotch Cheap Flights as a business change?
1: Yeah, so that was really where it kind of started to get professionalized. Um, you know, the first few months were really just sort of almost a test to figure out, okay, I've done, been doing this thing for free. Got a bunch of potential people. Are people willing to pay for this? You know, is this something that I could even cover my my hosting costs with? You know, so at that time I think we're fifty dollars a month, and so my go. You know, I just initially wanted to set a really low price point and just say like, okay, is this something that I can convince twenty five people to sign up for at two bucks a month? Like, can I do that? And you know, even the first day or two wasn't. Really clear if I'd be hit it, but then it started to pick up, and, and 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 you know, by I think by the end of the first month I had a hundred or hundred twenty uh, paying subscribers at two bucks a month. So you know, I was, I was really happy. I was making money, like it was profitable. The you know, already turning a profit in the very first month. But you know, again, when it sort of had grown to ten thousand, fifteen thousand, you know, by the time I brought Brian on, we really realized okay, a there's a lot of potential here. You know, most. People who were signing up, were really happy. There was basically no churn at the time. You know, there, it was expenses were next to nothing. You know, it's not, we don't have an office space. So there's no physical product. Like, it costs basically nothing to scale. And, you know, user satisfaction was really high. So we just started to put our heads together like, okay, what types of, what types of um, tactics can we take to try to, uh, um, you know, to try to get things as good as possible? And so he came up with a bunch of like really, I think smart ideas. So I'll give you a few examples. We shifted away from the two dollars per month model to. I think initially, the price was um, five bucks for three months, fifteen for six months, and twenty nine for. I I'd have to double check and make sure that's what it was initially. It was something like that: five, fifteen, twenty nine for three months, six months, or twelve month subscription. And it basically was about the same price, in some cases, even a little bit lower than two bucks a month. But by not processing payments every single month, and instead of processing them like once a year, once every six months, or once every three months, we ended up saving, you know, a ton on credit card processing fees because you know the way it works is it, like standard processing fee is something like 2.9% plus 30 cents. And that 30 cents out of two bucks, you know, is more than 10%. That we were you know so we we're getting eaten every transaction 15 you know somewhere between 15 20 percent and so just by shifting to a longer uh, 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 payment structure we ended up you know making and saving a ton of money uh, so that was a B you know came in with ideas about like a Black Friday sale and raising prices um, so we ended up raising prices like right around New year I
0: believe I was gonna say like uh... One of the most common things you hear is that you should always charge more, you know, more than you think. And $2 a month is so insanely cheap. Like, there's nothing online that I pay for that's that cheap.
1: You know, and that's sort of what I was thinking. Like, I want it to be a low enough price point that it doesn't deter, that the price point doesn't deter anybody. I just wanted to see are there people who are willing to pay money, whatever amount, but pay money for this type of thing?
0: At what point did you have enough validation to say, okay, people will pay for this? I should charge more. Like, was there a certain target?
1: After after a few months, yeah, I mean that was right around when Brian came in and we shifted to this longer term structure. Realized, okay, you know, there's a potential to raise prices here, but you know, there's always a little bit of a fear when you raise prices. Like, are people going to revolt? Uh, you know, are we undermining ourselves? And so we did two things. Um, well, the the first thing we did is we kept everybody grandfathered at whatever you know rate that they signed up at. So you know, you signed up at two bucks a month, you can. Stay at that for life, and we still have some subscribers on the list who are paying two bucks a month. Uh, you know, with people who signed up say uh, uh, fifteen bucks every six months, like they're still at that. So we didn't, you know, we're in by by no way affecting existing uh, customers, and so you know, negate any chance of like revolt. You know, people canceling because of that. The other thing that I really that I realized from this, which was a really su- real surprise for me. Is how much of a sales booster raising prices can be. And that's because, again, because we had this sort of grandfather clause, the result was that people realized oh shit, if I don't sign up by the deadline tomorrow, prices are going up. So I bet, you know, it takes everybody who's all this. These 10,000 people who are on the free list and are sitting on the fence deciding, you know, should I upgrade or not, all of a sudden forces them to make a decision and make a decision that's weighted in our favor because there is, okay either I can do it today at 19 bucks or I can do it tomorrow at 29 bucks. And so, you know, the sales just skyrocket in the day or two leading up to that sort of deadline. And so that's made me much more, much less averse to price increases where they're warranted. Because I know that when that happens, it's going to drive a ton of upgrades in the you know in the time leading up to it. The last insight I think uh, uh, you know, just tangible example I can think of that Brian really came up with and executed really well was that um, went back and and kind of did some analytical crunch, uh, data crunching on existing users, and he found that basically he, he noticed an interesting little quirk that you know when someone signs up, there's a you know that. There's a decent chance that they're gonna upgrade right away. And there's a decent chance they'll upgrade in the first month. Even that first to second month, there's somewhat of a chance that they'll become a paying subscriber. But almost nobody on the free list who had been on there for more than two months was upgrading. Like it was a very, very small number. And so what we realized from that is okay, these people are, you know, have a very low chance of upgrading. And You know, ostensibly are not like high value because of that low chance of upgrading. And so, what if we can offer them something to try to entice them to upgrade? And so, what we did was we offered them, um, a free month. We just, we would, we'd segment the list. We would say, okay, any, you know, I only want people on this list who have been on for more than two months and, you know, on the free list who have not upgraded. And we sent them all a, just a free, a free upgrade thing. He said, Hey, you know, for the next couple of days, you can uh, try out the free, uh, the premium list for free for one month. You know, you got to put in your, your credit card and stuff. It won't get charged for a month. If you cancel, you know, cancel anytime, no, re, no questions asked in that month. Uh, uh, you won't get charged, you know, even if you forget, you know, and, oh, you know, I just got charged, I forgot, like, it's two days later, can you, uh, can you cancel and refund? Yeah, absolutely. But we found that, you know, they like something like um, we would get, you know, thousands and thousands of upgrades just from this, again, from this group that had almost no chance of upgrading to begin with. And it was leading to you know tens of thousands, if, if you know fifty thousand plus in revenue that was just like free money because it wasn't it wasn't going to happen naturally. And so that was again just a, a tangible, really insightful uh, thing that Brian noticed in, in implemented. and implemented. One of the reasons why I'm so grateful to have him on the team.
0: Yeah, that sounds huge. And I think one of the cooler points from your your interview is that you talk about you know in terms of time. I think it was April of 2016, was when you guys bought Scotchcheapflights.com.
1: Yeah, I know. Super lucky that it still existed. It, it, before that, it was just I had written like a couple ebooks and it was on like flyforfreeguide.com and they had uh I, I just had like flyforfreeguide.com slash email list or something was the was the URL for the email list for a long time. And it was kind of confusing people. are like, uh, you know, I want to refer my friend over, but like, what's the URL again? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and so like, the, we we're really lucky that com still existed, you know, that we, um, got it and, and yeah, and that was part of the sort of professionalization of, of, uh, the company that, that Brian helped brought it bring about.
0: Do you remember, uh, about how many subscribers or how much, how much revenue you guys were generating at that time?
1: Ooh, and this is in April of, uh. April 2016?
0: Yeah, about a year ago.
1: Okay. In that month, we brought in about $30,000 that month.
0: About about a tenth of what you guys are making now, and probably similar subscriber numbers. Yeah. How how have you guys grown by 10x in in the last year? Whew,
1: man. um,
0: That's a huge amount of growth. I imagine that's been pretty hectic.
1: Again, I I, I think a huge part of it, again, is the... um, The free going back to the freemium model, the fact that we don't have a a big ask, you know, just hey, sign up, it's free, try it out, and that's the one call to action. And so a lot of the web page right now is optimized for that type of thing. Again, there's one call to action, just put in your email address. You know, there's a like an opt in. You know, you you're going to leave, like hey, just put in your email address real quick. Uh, So a lot of that is optimized for collecting email addresses. A lot of growth through um, Reddit. Uh, we've been, you know, post a lot on like Reddit, Entrepreneur, on Reddit, doing AMAs, stuff like that. That has led to a ton of subscribers. Done, uh, uh, you know, media hits. You can always see a decent spike when there's a good article in Washington Post or you know Condé Nast Traveler, uh, stuff like that. But honestly, the biggest source of growth. We did a survey recently of uh, subscribers. Forty five percent of people said they found out about Scotts Cheap Flights via word of mouth you know almost half of people came because somebody some friend of theirs had told them like hey you should sign up for this and that's been a that's like extremely flattering you know that it's something that people really sort of recommend to their friends and that it's gotten so much growth that way but b it's it's been an interesting um data point as we have gone back and forth about whether or not to do a referral program um you know should we like offer people hey like get a month free on your subscription for every person that you bring in or something you know something like that and we we like we keep going back and f- back and forth on it because on the one hand you know people like referral programs they work like it helps bring in new customers on the other hand if 45% of our people are already coming you know thousands 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 a month are coming because they heard about it from friends. like
0: Do you even need a referral?
1: <laughs> yeah, do we need a referral credit? Do we need to boost? Do we need to, like, you know, may, that could end up just being an expense at that point by giving away money for something that we're already getting. So it's tough. We go back and forth on it. But, uh, uh, you know, it's an interesting problem to grapple with.
0: I think one of the cool things about being freemium is that it really helps enable your word of mouth growth too because if you charge everybody up front and you know maybe 90 95 percent of people who would otherwise be on your free list just don't end up using it all because they're not willing to pay then they never end up telling their friends
1: oh yeah no I'm I, I'm a super skeptical guy like I almost never pay for something like right off the bat you know I want to try it out I want to see if I like it and there are plenty of things that you know I've tried out liked a little liked and then decide yeah you know I'll pay for this so you know I, I'll give you a real quick example slack like we uh you know w- once the team started growing big enough we couldn't just like use like hangouts as our as our message service uh, messaging service cuz you know there was no group aspect to it like it was all just one on one conversations and so we ended up moving over to slack but then you know you get above 10,000 messages stops archiving and you know all these other things and we decided like yeah you know this is actually pretty valuable we've been using this we really like it like yeah we'll pay you know 50 or hundred bucks a month, whatever, uh, whatever it costs nowadays. And, and are really happy having, having done so. And that I think is the, the model. I think nowadays is just, it, it, it just makes so much sense to let people try something out, see if they like it and then, you know, figure out if it's worth paying for or not.
0: Yeah. Especially if you know that, that what the service or the product that you're offering actually provides value. Like if you have something that's not that good, and okay, like, you know, maybe freemium's not gonna work for you because people people will check it out and be like, I don't wanna pay for this. This sucks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you gotta put a lot of sort of trust and faith in yourself and your product that like you can have these people signing up for free and then that you can convince them to be that it's worth paying for over time. And you know, that like obviously we know that eighty, you know, somewhere between 85 and 90% of people were not going to be able to convince to pay for. But that's fine because the margin again the marginal cost for every free subscriber is basically nothing. But, you know, by having the we wouldn't be able to get those 10 to 15%, we wouldn't be getting nearly that, you know, that many folks if we didn't have the free list for people to try it out
0: first. And I think one another cool thing about your business is that typically it's it's pretty hard to get consumers to pay for things. Like if you sell to businesses, Businesses are making a lot of money, uh, and so there's a lot of opportunities to help them make more money or to help them save money. And so it's it's easier for them to do the calculation in their head of course, of like, okay, of course I'll pay for this product because it's going to help me make money or save money. But with consumers, it's a little bit harder to get that you know that point across. And I think that Scotch cheap flights is in this interesting area where like consumers spend a lot of money on travel and on you know airline tickets. And if you can save people hundreds of dollars on that, then it's a no brainer.
1: Well, it's also just a very—it's just a very unique industry, right? Because it, it you know—it's not like I don't know buying an iPhone where like the price is basically always the same. You know, you you know exactly where to get it. Like the price is going to be the same today as it will be next week. Like you know what to expect. It's just one single product. Whereas with flights, you know, I mean, literally the price is changing by the hour, if not more. You know, you—who has any idea what it's supposed to cost on any given route between you know? new like what's a flight supposed to cost between like DC and Sapporo or something like I don't know like like for most I mean I mean I do know because I spend my my day doing this type of thing but for most subscribers I think you could tell them $900 or you could tell them $1900 and they would like yeah you know I guess that's probably what's right and so the fact you know when whatever Kayak sort of spits back at you as the price like There's not a always a good reference point for folks to know like is this a good price? Is this a bad price? Like should I be buying it now? Like you know I'm traveling in. I want to travel in like three months. Should I pull the trigger now? Should I wait? Those types. It's a super opaque industry that um you know that every like almost every single person on any given flight is paying a different price right than you know than the neighbor sitting next to them. So. almost positioning ourselves as this sort of concierge or or a uh, uh, decoder in the middle to tell folks not only to be your advocate and searching like hey you know here's a really good deal we're, we're always looking for them but also that you know we can tell you like what's not a good deal when you should book it how long we think it's gonna last that type of thing
0: and you guys are so single-mindedly focused on this one thing that I mean you guys don't do anything else you guys are just purely flight search and so like your homepage, yeah, nothing else. Whereas every other site that I've been to is, is everything, you know. And I, and I talk to people on the Andy Hacker about this a lot. Like there's so much of a temptation when you start a business to like spread into all these adjacencies and do all these kind of related things. But if you just focus on one thing, then you can do what you guys have done and like, you know, streamline your homepage. So you only have one single call to action and you can, you know, increase your conversion percentage and you can like deliver a product that's going to be superior to everybody else's because you're not doing anything else. You just focus on one, one single problem.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, especially you know early on, I think that's one of the we didn't know it for sure at the time, but in retrospect, I think has been one of our keys to success is keeping our our focus very narrowly tailored and just keeping it on our sort of core competency rather than trying to get into you know even if there was an opportunity there for other uh, uh, other like methods of revenue. Keeping it focused on like the things that we know we're good at and that we know we're providing value and other people like
0: one thing you mentioned earlier is that you know at this point in time you've got a team and it started off with just you alone and you brought on Brian and I think now you've got fifteen or twenty people helping out uh, what is everybody doing and how did you find these people
1: so everybody does different types of things so we have folks who do customer support you know we get somewhere between three hundred and six hundred emails a day in the inbox so they're you know, helping folks out. We decided very early on to basically do no paid advertising, but instead take that budget and focus it on customer support. Uh, so I wanted people when they email in to not have to wait the standard sort of twenty-four to forty-eight hours to get a response. I wanted to get our response in a couple of hours, if not a couple minutes, because that I think that type of interaction with, especially with a new company that you don't know. Are they trustworthy? Is this good? Is this bad? If you get a response back in, in you know, like within minutes of emailing, that's a really positive interaction that you have with a company, especially you know, they answer your question, help you out. And so, I think like, like bringing on uh, really investing in customer support was something that I was really, really glad that we did early on, um, especially given the nature of the business that because it's so email based, anytime somebody has a question, they just email it back, right? Like they're not always going to take the time to like look on our you know faq on the website or anything like that they're just like why am i going to look there let me just email them back and so putting that emphasis on customer support folks was was important so we have uh, some folks who are doing flight searching as well you know I, I i used to be the only one doing flight searching for u.s and canada now we have got a few a uh, few folks helping out with that as well and then we've got folks you know doing the flight searching for australia new zealand europe you know latin america we have some folk we have like a social media manager, some folks doing you know web development, building you know doing sort of the techie side of things. Yeah, it's kind of all over the map now, like a bunch of bunch of different roles. but one of the cool things is that everybody is based um, uh, everybody works remotely. we're in 10 different countries around the world
0: so you uh, you're literally all over the map.
1: Yeah, only a few of us have ever met face to face. It's a very sort of 21st century type of business.
0: I think the, uh, the thing you mentioned about choosing to focus on customer support instead of, uh, for example, you know, putting money into ads to grow your business is a super interesting decision. Do you think that'll always be the case? Will you ever start spending money on ads or other growth channels?
1: I mean, I don't want to say never say never. I'm just highly skeptical of the efficacy of ads like i don't think like i think it's just something that nowadays who likes to be feel, feel like they're getting sold something you know like that people like to feel like they found out about something on their own you know and so that whether it's word of mouth whether it's doing their research that type of thing i think i tend to think that the budget can be put to much better use in terms of like customer acquisition better than paid advertising the you know i think there are slight exceptions to that like the fact that um uh facebook you know with their boosts let lets you engage more either with your own you know audience or like-minded audience like we 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 started to dabble very minimal you know 10 bucks here 15 bucks there um in terms of like boosting a couple a couple stories or posts that we'll put up but um i just don't you know i i I'd have trouble envisioning us ever having you know a four figure five figure ad budget or anything like that because I just don't I tend not to see that as not the best um, way to get like not the most effective way to get new subscribers. Well, I'll give you an example. I think, for instance, that money is better spent. If I had a thousand dollars, I would not spend that on a thousand dollars worth of ads. I would do a giveaway and and so, like two free flights to to europe you know for you and your friend and you know this is something we've done before and literally you know when we do this we'll get 30 40 50 thousand new subscribers just because it, we like uh not only from doing a giveaway but also doing a, a giveaway that is effectively tailored to promote share you know to promote social sharing so you get like one entry for putting in your email address, but you get five entries for every person who subscribes with your, you know, referral link, or, or or not subscribes, but like enters the giveaway with your referral link.
0: That's such a smart idea, and it's it's cool because I see a lot of companies do giveaways, and the thing that they're giving away is so unrelated to their product. Like if you give away free flights, then it's like anyone who enters that competition and cares about, a lot about it is also going to enjoy Scotch cheap flights because they like cheap flights.
1: Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very
0: on brand. So you know, and while we're talking about growth and, and and ways to grow, like you guys have also uh been completely bootstrapped from the beginning. You've never raised any money from investors. And I'm sure at this point that you you've got investors banging down your doors trying to convince you to take money. Why not go that route?
1: We've just never had to. Been lucky enough that we never you know, we've been approached by various uh investors' VC funds and whatnot, but I mean our, our, our profit margin is so high at this point and our expenses are just so low that we'd never had any need and not only that but you know obviously as I'm sure your listeners are well aware as flattering and it is extremely flattering to be approached by uh, uh, investors and funders obviously it doesn't you're never getting money with no strings attached like you're either you're giving up equity you're giving up some control and then you're starting you're shifting from being the ones in, you know, your own boss, the one making all the decisions, to all of a sudden having to be accountable and answer to someone else as well. And, you know, that's that's a big mindset shift. Like, we can we can do with the company what we want right now. We can either try to maximize profit or we can reinvest everything. We can try to focus on user acquisition or just improving the user experience. Like, we can take things in whatever direction we want and not be have to be, like, maximally focused on returns in the way that you might have to be if you have uh, uh, you know, an angel investor who's kind of breathing down your neck. So yeah, I mean, again, very, very humbling, very flattering to be approached, but in a super fortunate position to be able to say no to it.
0: And what would you say your goals are at this point? Like, Kind of like, you know, at a personal level, but also at a business level. I mean, a year ago, you guys weren't making nearly as much money as you are now. You didn't have nearly as many subscribers uh, do you want to keep growing that fast, or do you want to you turn it into more of like a?
1: I will preface this with saying it is really hard to think long term, uh, because every you know, if you had told me a year ago that we would be ten times larger than we were then, I would I said you're flipping crazy, and <laughs> you know, like, and it, so it's 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 hard to even. I think there's very little chance that we're ten times bigger a year from today, but uh, you know, who knows? Maybe. I guess it's possible. Who knows? So, a it's a little bit hard to envision it, but B it's because it's like hard to almost to visualize. Like, where would I be? You know, with six million subscribers rather than six hundred thousand, it's a little bit hard to like make long term plans. So, we've almost kind of issued doing any type of. Super long-term planning. We've mostly stuck to sort of short-term and middle and medium-term planning. So you know, within the, like kind of thinking, three to six months ahead, like what types of new features, what types of new uh, uh, outreach methods and stuff do we want to pursue? The main thing I think that we'd like to do, you know, obviously without giving away too too much of our plans, but the main thing that we really want to do is improve the customer experience, you know, the user experience. So you know, right now we we. We're still kind of running on an MVP with some of the new systems in terms of like premium subscribers choosing their departure airports and things like that. We really want to kind of build out a system that's much more user-friendly, that's much more intuitive and and, and much more visually pleasing um, for folks to be getting, you know, when they're setting up their account and and getting that type of stuff. And then just start to explore more types of outreach opportunities, whether that's um, Building a blog, whether that again, we keep going back and forth on this possible referral program. Even starting to, for instance, we we sent out an email blag the other day asking for folks, telling saying like, hey, you know, hey, have you gotten any like really good deals in Scotchy flights and have a cool story with it? You know, we get people emailing us all the time about you know that oh, I got you know, we took our honeymoon that we didn't think we could afford, or like I visited you know this relative uh, back in Europe who I hadn't seen for 10 years you know because prices were too expensive do you have any cool stories like that and so you know we got hundreds and hundreds of stories and you know people were sending photographs and stuff of these like really touching heartwarming stories and so we started to post those a little bit like on on facebook but trying to figure out you know is there more sort of ways we can focus to en- engage people with those types of stories you know sharing those types of successes and then we also have folks you know who are traveling all the time like every you know. Thousands, tens of thousands of people taking these cheap flights who are taking photos, having experiences. Is there a way that we can kind of t- start to tap into their experiences? You know, have people be like, oh, snap, when you're in Barcelona, you know, go to this really awesome hole in the wall restaurant. Or if you're in, you know, Venice, like, here's the best way to, I don't know, hail a gondola or something like that. And start to harness some of that sort of user generated um, content into. Into something that we can kind of share with everybody and build, build a little bit more of a community, or a little bit more of a knowledge base.
0: How do you how do you decide where to divide your marketing efforts? Because it sounds like you've got some channels that work super well. You've got Reddit, where you guys have made like you know, a ton of AMA posts and, and and kind of showcase posts where you've gotten you know thousands of upvotes, and you've got your your viral giveaways, which you said you know bring in like 50,000 new subscribers. Why not keep doing those rather than switching into content marketing or a new type of marketing?
1: It's a couple things. First of all, you know, to a certain extent, it doesn't always have to be a choice. You can do, you know, we can be doing giveaway giveaways and be doing Reddit and be, you know, trying to gin up earned media and stuff like that. But you know, you're you're right to the extent that you do have to kind of focus your efforts somewhat. Uh, and try to decide you know on on any given day are we going to try to do this or that? Part of it is we try to recognize the sort of unescapable gravity of diminishing returns that yes you know we've got we've had some really successful viral posts on Reddit, but if we tried to do that every day or every week or even every month, not only not only would we would it stop working, but we would get we would take all the goodwill that we've earned on Reddit and folks you know. Telling each other to subscribe, recommending it to you know other redditors, stuff like that, and it would turn it instantly into bad will because they'd be like, "This company is just you know on here just they're just advertising, they're just trying to you know uh, they're just in it for themselves rather than trying to help people, stuff like that." Um, I think the same type of thing happens with giveaways to a certain extent. You know, if you have it every every week or every month, it stops becoming special. People are. are, are just sort of start to tune it out, and so we try to mix it up, try to uh, um, figure out different types of areas. I, I, one of the things that's made things you know uh, much more complicated these days is the fact now that we're not just in the US and Canada, that you know we have cover flights departing Europe, Asia, Latin America, Australia, and so that's trying to think about ways to sort of grow larger in those types of markets can also get difficult. Right, because it's just, it, it, it's just a whole different ball game. For instance, with the giveaways, I didn't realize this, but the like internal, like each country's laws regarding giveaways are vastly, vastly different. You know, sometimes there's as little as like in Canada, if you do a giveaway, I think in the province of Quebec, you have to also post the language of the giveaway in French. In some places, like I think in France, if you're doing a giveaway, you have to reimburse people for either the postage or like the internet cost that it took them to enter your contest. Like there are all these that sounds fun, yeah. There are all these random little things that we, you know, for the most part, we've just avoided doing because it's so complicated. But um, we might have to start to try to navigate those waters a bit because it can be really fruitful if you if you pull it off well but um it's not as simple as just taking what's worked in the u.s and then applying it to you know to australia or to the uk or anything like that
0: got it well we are running towards the end of our hour i think your story is super interesting and hopefully it'll inspire other people who might not be programmers or might not be you know, career entrepreneurs to get out there and do something valuable and, you know, start from nothing and build a successful business as you have. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on the show, Scott.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. This is great. I uh, I appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity.
0: All right, take it easy. All
1: right, take care.
0: If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you're looking for a way to help support the Andy Hackers podcast, then you should subscribe on iTunes and leave a quick rating and a review. It only takes about 30 seconds, but it actually really helps get the word out. And I would personally appreciate it very much. In addition, if you are running an internet business or if it's something that you'd like to do in the future, you should join me and a whole bunch of other internet entrepreneurs on the ndhackers.com forum. It's basically a community of like-minded individuals just giving each other feedback and helping out with ideas and landing pages and marketing and growth and other internet business-related topics. That's www.ndhackers.com slash forum. Hope to see you guys there.